0: The drive goes Patty Casey for the basket. <laughs> Backdoor cut slider with the jam. This is slider in close
1: and one. Welcome back to the Swider Show episode 28. Uh, this week was a big week for the show. A huge week for the show. Patty Casey took over an interview with Trevor Lane, so this is Trevor Lane part two. And uh, so welcome to episode 28, and we're excited to get this one going. Yeah, it was. Um,
2: we just wrapped up with Trevor. I just wrapped up with Trevor, so I'm, I'm about I don't know, 25, 30 minute mark, you can transition to the Patty Casey show with Trevor Lane, no wire involved. But now um, I said this to you when we were before we started recording. Trevor's like forgotten more about the Lakers than than I've ever known, than most people have <laughs> ever known. He uh, knows the ins and outs, gives a nice playoff preview, and um, yeah, if you want more Trevor, he's a fellow Blue Wire member lakers nation podcast he primes on literally anything you could ever think of with the lakers he also uh, answers a lot of questions in the chat which i mentioned so um yeah check that out great twitter too trevor underscore lane
1: Just shout out Trevor, man. He's obviously been a big supporter of our show. He came on our show twice, and I mean, he has a lot of things going on, obviously, with the Lakers in the playoffs, and if if you guys have ever seen his Twitter, the detail that he puts into his tweets from the Lakers' playoff standings to all the scenarios that are going on, like, he is an unbelievable uh, resource on Twitter if you're a Lakers fan and you want to know just the ins and outs of everything. So, shout out Trevor Lane.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, The reason for that, too, is, I mean, we want a little bit more of a fan perspective which I'm sure everyone can sympathize with, a lot of Lakers fans that tune into the show. So, um, yeah, I feel very prepared for the playoffs now, thanks to Trevor. But <laughs> the other thing we should we should mention: Swider, biggest episode to date last week with Tyler Kolick, our very our close personal friend. Now, um, yeah. the numbies on that episode, I we were just flying up the charts. So, uh, shout out to the listeners. Shout out Tyler, and uh, I think. I don't know. A lot of Cuse people tune in to every episode. Marquette might be the only fan base I've seen that can rival Cuse in terms of diehardness.
1: Yeah, I mean Marquette is obviously a big fan base, and when you have the biggest player of the year on um, from from that fan base, I bet there's a lot of people tuning in. So shout out to Marquette. Shout out to the Marquette fans. It's probably the only time I'll ever say that. Um, but shout shout out to Marquette fans for tuning in and making this the biggest episode. Uh, besides our preview episode, right? before Besides our first episode. So. Yeah,
2: exactly. And if you guys are so, still tuning in, we actually have uh, Dwayne Wade planned for next week. And then Steve <laughs> Novak the week after. So I'll uh, stay tuned <laughs> to that.
1: Just a Marquette podcast now.
2: Yeah. Big Golden Eagles pod. But um, yep. probably about, I don't know, it was like 18 hours ago that you were in Crypto.com for, uh, for the plan game. One of the more bizarre NBA games in general I've ever watched. The fourth quarter was just chaos, beginning to end. Everyone was exhausted, hands on their knees. Some some sloppy plays, some turnovers, but ultimately you guys advanced. Now it's a seven two matchup. You got the Grizz, but uh, first of all, how was the atmosphere? Because it was it was like blaring loud through the TNT uh,
1: broadcast. Well, Patty, you've been to Crypto before. Well, yeah, you've been to Crypto for multiple games, right? So the Milwaukee game might have been more realistic expectations because the first game was a LeBron record game, but. If you've been to crypto, you know it's... How about uh, compare it to that in terms of, of loudness? It, it was up there. It was up there. I, I, obviously, when LeBron made the shot to, to pass the record... Yeah, it felt like a movie. Though. It felt
2: like everyone yeah. was like... It was like, begin scene, he makes the shot. <laughs> everyone goes wild, end scene. Like, it was very planned out. It was very anticipated.
1: Everyone's arms up and everything like that. Yeah, no, it was... His celebration but, uh, The
2: Schroeder shot last night was actually, like, somewhat similar. I don't know if you caught that.
1: Yeah. I think
2: that's just his new move now. Just two hands in the air.
1: <laughs> for sure, but I mean, just talking about the atmosphere last night. If you've been to Crypto.com Arena, it's especially when the Lakers play. When the Clippers is a totally different environment. When the Lakers play, it's like a Hollywood event. Like people are there to be impressed. Like it's it's a di- it's a very different atmosphere than like a Boston or Philly or even the Clippers atmosphere when, when we play yeah. there. Um, but last night it was probably the loudest I've 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 been around in Crypto just just being there for the playoffs. Right? It was. It was energetic. People were screaming, yelling to the refs, and uh, it was it was a great environment. So shout out to all the fans coming out to Crypto last night. It was a great environment, obviously, and we're excited to get a couple more games at home, at least, right? So um, ex- excited for, to keep on going in the playoffs and to see what this team could do. But yeah, absolutely unbelievable atmosphere. The game was back and forth. Um, we made we made yeah, a how, huge how, run. The, how nerve wracking was it on the bench? Yeah, I mean. Just the way the game was going, I, I'm not. I wouldn't say it was the same level of play as the 2016 finals of LeBron and uh, yeah. the Warriors, but in terms of like two really good offensive teams like struggling to score for the last like four minutes. It, I mean, it was pretty similar to that in that in that case, right? LeBron makes a three with like two minutes and thirty seconds left to tie it up, and then Schroeder. <laughs> the next the next bucket was Schroeder's. Uh, three with 1.4 seconds left. And then obviously AD fouls Mike Conley in the corner, so it's 98-98. And for an NBA game where we've seen teams score 160 points this year, it was definitely a different type of atmosphere, like a, a different type of game in terms of that aspect. You could tell the just the intensity. It's an absolute of the rock fight.
3: The,
2: the oh, most didn't
1: score for the last six minutes.
2: Um, I don't know. It was it was kind of cool almost, like the nerves that you could kind of see setting in. A lot of guys were getting a little tight. Like you're saying, it was the exact same atmosphere as Game 7 in 2016. your point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the same type of t- same type of ending.
2: No, I know what you're getting at. I know what you're getting at. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what are kind of your main takeaways going into this next series here?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for us is just getting some rest. Like, we played six games in ten days. And LeBron's been in like this playoff mode for these past six, seven games, right? Like just, just the overall just prepared mentality that he's had now that he gets to have four days off and kind of like this break of, of to reevaluate the team, where we are i think that's gonna be huge for our team I think we're gonna come out with a different type of level of energy going into this next game just because we'll have a little bit of time to rest and prepare so I know all these guys are gonna do everything that they can to to be as prepared as possible um and yeah i'm excited i'm excited for this next series man i think I think this we, we beat Memphis twice in the regular season so um obviously the regular season is different than the playoffs but I think we have a really good chance to to go in there and surprise some people and, and hopefully come out with a win
2: yeah. I think um too with like the amount of pressure you guys have had for basically I don't know, the last six six to eight weeks, it's like every single game is a must win. It's it feels like you guys have been in the playoffs for the last two months, but I think there's yeah. almost like do you feel like there might be almost a sense of relief now that you've kind of made it? And obviously there's not relief where like you have to ranch it up, it's actually in the playoffs now, but it's like all right, we're here.
1: Prepare for well, one it's kind team. Of, it's kinda of been like that since we were we were two and ten, right? Like I don't know if you saw Lakers' Instagram post last night, but Coach Ham came into the locker room after the game, and uh, he wrote 2-10. and 10, Then he wrote 0.3% chance to make the playoffs. And then he wrote playoffs at the bottom. And he's like, kind of like going through the journey of our season, right? We start out 2-10. and 10, Like, everyone's counting us out. Lakers suck. Lakers are bust. They should, they should try and get one Yanaba, which just doesn't even make sense because we'd have to we have to swap picks with New Orleans anyways. With New Orleans, yeah.
2: Uh, um, which, by the way, is not so, happening now.
1: Thanks to last night. happening
2: Because uh Nolan not can happening. only finish in eighth, so
1: Exactly. So it's just a very, very, very uh roller coaster season and just to, to kinda of cap it off like that with the trade deadline and everything that's kinda of happened throughout our season with the different players on our roster and everything like that. It's been a it's been a crazy season to be a part of, but really happy that we were able to get into the playoffs and, and, and make a make a change. Yeah. Make a change I think it, um, for the better.
2: That's one of those things that like you won't actually fully contextualize till. uh you're like reflecting on it but like you said rest the schedule just came out first game sunday two days off then you play wednesday two days off they play saturday and from there it's one day in between but obviously as always noted on the schedules four through uh yeah five through seven if necessary with a bunch of asterisks next to it yeah yeah barring a sweep yeah that's a good point (laughs) but um yeah i think everyone's excited to watch some Lakers playoff basketball.
1: More more, more. so LeBron in the playoffs, right? Like, let's get LeBron back in the playoffs, right? I think last year, I mean, obviously, I, I th- wasn't the Warriors Celtics one of the most watched finals in a while or something like that like, since, Le- since LeBron was in the finals? Um, but, yeah, just LeBron back in the playoffs, I'm, I'm excited just to see him back there, obviously being his teammate and uh, a guy who's going to be watching very closely from now on. Yeah.
2: Like, being his teammate is one thing. Being his teammate in the playoffs is like, uh, (laughs) that's just such a cool life. But uh, the other thing I saw on Twitter, I forget who it was, so I think it it was either Dave McMenamin or, uh, I don't know, some Lakers beat writer that I follow because I'm all over Lakers Twitter now. But um, last night was LeBron's first postseason game with the Lakers that was full capacity, like a full crowd, which is kind of wild.
1: It is crazy. If you think about it, like fifth year, right? Yeah, the, he's he's already got the Lakers one of these rings, right? So it's like it's it's crazy to think about how uh, that was his first real home playoff game, right? Yeah, I don't know. I was
2: that like it makes sense when you go through the years, obviously. But reading that at first, I was like, "There's just no way that this is right." This guy's yeah. just lying through his fingers. But uh, I guess bigger picture. I keep saying that. I keep saying bigger picture. I said bigger picture to Trevor like ten times, but removing the Lakers from it. Our mailbag question of the week. Um, it's from Cody. He writes in and asks, besides your series, what are your predictions for the playoff series? So we'll go series by series wider, and um, you kind of hinted at it with the Warriors Celtics, but so all right, let's go two seven is is Lakers Grizzlies three six. Sacramento Warriors who do you got how
1: many games it's crazy because the way that Sacramento has been playing this year you would think that Sacramento could could probably beat them but then you have the Warriors like the Warriors the pedigree Wiggins is back um it feels like it feels like they're getting together I don't know if they can make a, a run all the way to the finals again but it seems like just with that championship pedigree with Sacramento not being back it feels like a Warriors in six kind of series to me
2: yeah I agree I think they uh I think Sacramento probably wins game one. And then they yeah, get yeah. a little ahead of their skis. Their fans are fucking awesome. Oh. Man, man. Everyone's gone wild. Like the beam. I haven't kind of been.
1: Yeah, I haven't been to every single NBA arena, obviously. And you know, Philly and Boston are notorious for having really great crowds and really passionate fan bases. But I would say out of all the arenas I've been to, Sacramento's had the best fans. Yeah, it's like they're like a college campus almost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they're even, to show. Even the preseason games were rocking. Rocking.
2: Yeah, I did not know they had that in, that in, that in them because they haven't had a good team in, like, our entire lifetime. So, I don't know. Pretty uh, pretty good stuff. But, yeah, I think I agree with you there. I'm going to try and disagree with some of these so it's better podcasting. But, four or five Suns Clippers, who you got? I'm going to go Suns in five. Suns in five. All right. I was going to say a Suns sweep. I think that's over. Sweep Over quick. I don't know if the
1: Clippers got it in them. I just don't think the Clippers, like, without having PG there, and, like, they're still trying to adjust to having, like, a new roster. Um, I think their roster is good. Like, I think they have pieces that complement each other. I think Eric Eric Gordon was a good pickup, I think. um, I mean – they had that incident last game with Mason Plumley and Bones Highland, but I think both those guys are good pickups and, and fit the roster, right? Like it, it's all going to depend on if, how how many minutes can Kawhi play at night, right? It, since since he's obviously he played all 24 minutes in the second half against us the other other night, and obviously he did. Yeah. he did, he did. So um, is, that's going to be the question, and obviously it's going to be is Norman Powell going to be able to play to that level? Is Eric Gordon going to be able to knock down shots? Is Russ is Russin that Kawhi dynamic and to keep on working. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that series, but I, yeah, I, I got sons in five. I oh, got sweep. So I guess that would take care of the West.
2: Well, now who do you think wins the oh. playing games? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I would go tonight. It's, it's Pelicans thunder.
1: Yeah. I, I got, Pel- I got Pelicans over thunder and then I'm, I'm probably going to go Pelicans over Mis- Minnesota too. I think, I think the I think Pelicans will get the eight seed and, I think, honestly, that would be a great series between the Pelicans and Nuggets in the first round because I think there's two contrasting styles. Because um, the Pelicans are, are a fun, young team that's going to get up and down, run. Um, and then you have Denver, who's kind of just been like this juggernaut all year offensively. But but with Jokic, you kind of got to slow up the pace. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I think I I uh, I think I actually have the Thunder winning both games. Wow. They, they won me over in the uh, LeBron Scoring record game. I thought they were like way better than I anticipated, but tough. They don't really have any bigs, but um, yeah, I think they win both. And then I would love to pick them over the Nuggets just for <laughs> pure chaos reasons. But I think the Nuggets probably won in like four or five.
1: Yeah, I got I got Nuggets winning. I got Nuggets winning in five or six. If it is the Pelicans
2: um, though, or Minnesota, I think they could give the Nuggets like real problems. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we agreed on everyone there. That's fun.
1: Yep.
2: The East is uh, potentially a little bit more interesting. But I'm assuming, that before we move on from the West, I'm assuming you're, you're picking yourself, you're picking the Lakers. I also am. You mentioned Dang. Warriors-Celtics last year, very good ratings. Lakers-Warriors' second-round series is insanity. Like That's, that's got to be the Steph biggest like, second-round series you've probably ever seen.
1: I like the way you think, Patty. Do you think so? No, I do. I do think so. Yeah, no, it's definitely gonna be a hell of a series. I'm excited. Oh, hopefully we we, we get there. Um, obviously, no
2: bulletin board material here.
1: Yeah, Still, the Brooks yeah, but, will come after us. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but yeah, no, just just hoping, hoping that we get that series. Steph versus LeBron in the second round. Obviously, it would be quick flights back and forth. We don't have to go all the way to Memphis, which would be nice. And uh, yeah. Just looking forward to it. Hopefully, hopefully, we can get to that and uh, Warriors, Lakers, LeBron versus Steph. Second round sounds good. To yeah, me.
2: box office as it sounds as they say. Box office. Well, so moving to the Eastern Conference, we can do this quicker. Milwaukee versus either Miami, Toronto, or Chicago. First of all, who do you have winning tonight? Toronto, Chicago.
1: I guess Chicago winning tonight. I think with all the comments about Nick Nurse recently I just feel like Toronto is just like just not in it right now so I'm just going go to go Chicago yeah it's very it's very bizarre this would happen like at this time of the season when they're still like, like if they were like a Portland or if they were like a a Washington Wizards who had like a decent record but like weren't able to make it to the playoffs on at the end yeah. yeah yeah i i would get i would get those comments but like for him to say that he needs a couple weeks after the season to decide his future when his team's still playing, it's just like a very weird uh, very weird plot twist. So, yeah, I would I would go uh, Chicago tonight, just just based on the, the – I think they've played better as, as the season's gone on. I think Pat Bev's been a really good addition to them to kind of bring some sort of leadership and togetherness. Um, I think they're motivated to win. I think DeMar is going to come out shooting tonight, and, and I think they'll win that game. Okay, so that would be, what, Miami-Chicago? Miami, Chicago. I think Chicago wins. I think Chicago wins that game too. Miami looked like Miami was like such a mess last yeah, night. Yeah, they did not look good last night. It was weird. And I just think with Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, um, it's gonna be hard for them to match up with those guys. Obviously, Miami, like when they Miami made the East Conference Finals last year. I'm not trying to take anything anything away from those guys, but it's just like, it's, something's going on over there. And and I mean. I know Pat Riley can get – and Pat Riley and that heat culture can, can get it together and, and possibly give Milwaukee a little bit of a series. But um, I just think overall it's going to be really tough and to, to kind of get it together at this point in the season.
2: Yeah, I was kind of disappointed. I thought Miami won last night and then gave the Celtics, like, a really tough series. And I thought they would have swept the Celtics, actually. I want to see if Adam gets pissed off by that. Nope, <laughs> I have camera. Bulls, Bucks. I'm assuming you're picking the Bucks there.
1: Yeah, I'll probably go Bucks in four or five, five at most. <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll give them one. They won. That was that was a series last year too, in the Bulls won game. But yeah, um, and then Boston, Atlanta. I think this is another sweep, probably.
1: Boston in four or five. Yeah, uh, I mean, shout out Sadiq Bay. Obviously, played great last night in in, in the playing game, but I mean, Boston. Boston will be ready to go. I, I can see Atlanta, like, stealing, like, the first game against Boston, like, just waking them up a little Getting bit. Getting the like, people down, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, yeah. Like, Atlanta's a real – Atlanta could scare these guys, maybe bring them to six or seven. Nah. I, if anything, I think they, they might steal game one. Trey Young goes off. But after that, I think Boston will, will handle them in five. Yeah, I agree. Um, Brooklyn
2: Sixers, also first round. I think this is uh, – this might my- – Mm, I'm gonna say five games I feel like the Sixers yeah. win. I was gonna say six but Sixers lose one every year Harden's health is still a bit up in the air so
1: well well, it, it kind of reminds me of that series a couple years ago when they played against Brooklyn what was is that the 3-6 as well I think that was a 3-6 six, uh six yeah three first. and
2: uh that was like when D'Lo was still with the Nets they won not one was going Amir off Johnson yeah. was was looking at his phone on the bench yeah
1: yeah I, I, could, I could see something like that Mikael Bridges getting off one game but yeah no Sixers Sixers are too good I got I got a Sixers and four four or five. Yeah, Cavs Knicks. I'm going Cavs and six. See, I I got the Knicks in this one. Really, all
2: right. Our first disagreement. Let's go.
1: I got the Knicks. I li- I like the dynamic of Jalen Brunson Julius Randle. I don't think the Cavs have what what it really takes to like win in a playoff series yet. They haven't played together in a playoff series, and you can you can say the same thing about the Knicks. But Jalen Brunson has, has made it to the Western Conference Finals. um, Julius Randle has played in a playoff series and then has failed in a playoff series, right? Like, like he has that experience of failing in a playoff series. So, I think the Cavs are a nice story, a nice team that that has has done some things this year and, and looked like a contender for most part of the season. But I, I got a, I got Nixon seven. Oh wow, winning in Cleveland. Yep. Wow, I'm I'm excited to
2: see the uh, MSG atmosphere. We haven't gotten oh, that too. enough. Because they always suck, but
1: I I think the coolest thing during COVID was like, well, not I mean, there wasn't a lot of cool things that came out of COVID, but I think one of the coolest things is like the whole entire year the NBA, like no one's like no one's allowed in the arenas, and then like all of a sudden they like lift these restrictions and it's and it's a packed MSG going crazy at Trey Young just like dumping stuff on their team like that was an unbelievable like first round of the playoffs and, and like to be reintroduced to uh fans again, that was just like an unbelievable first round series. Sean, you're right into the fire. That was uh
2: one of the more I don't know, like dramatic first round five game series that you could possibly imagine. <laughs> <laughs> like it was not really that competitive, but um yeah, so I guess we're we're through the East there. Who do you see coming out of the East overall? The Bucks? I feel like you're gonna say the Celtics.
1: Uh, the, one of those three teams, I think those three teams have have really separated themselves. I, I think just like that second round series of. I think that first seed was really pivotal because I think whoever comes out of that second series of Philly and in, in Boston is gonna be like, it's gonna be tough to kind of wake up for that next round and be like, we're ready to go. So it's kind of like it's kind of like last year when the uh, the Celtics and and Bucks. Uh, came out of that series in the in the heat yeah oh they they, they came, that was like a final series almost you know what I mean like um yeah but it's gonna be a seven game series in the Eastern Conference finals but I want to go celtics just because of the shot making ability and, and and chris chris middleton isn't isn't fully healthy. So th- I think that's a huge factor that we saw last year that was able to, that was able to propel the Celtics over, and, and the Celtics just have so many guys who can step up in big moments. Like even a Derek White could have thirty one night in the playoffs and and lift your team up. So yeah, I, I got Celtics out of the East, Lakers, Lakers out of the West.
2: I just trust, yeah,
1: Celtics Lakers. That'd
2: be fucking sweet. <laughs> I think I just trust Milwaukee more. I think Giannis is head and shoulders the best player in any series think he's the
1: i don't know maybe the most competitive guy in the whole world but is there is there a better two players than jalen brown and jason tatum i would say Giannis sent to and drew holiday wow I, I i don't think i would agree with that i think last year drew holiday had his moments but i think just over i mean i think
2: i don't know this is gonna be a hot take so i think i think drew is better than jalen brown wow wow is that crazy I, I,
1: I think that that's probably that's a very bold statement. Yes, I would say that's crazy.
2: I don't know. What is he, the best defender in the league?
1: Yeah, but in terms of... Are you giving him the ball at the end of the game to go win you a game? I, I just think Jalen... I mean, who knows? But I, I just think Jalen Brown is just such a more viable offensive option. He's a very good defender. He... he he can guard the team's best player, but he doesn't have to because Marcus Smart's on the team. And that's the thing about Drew Holiday; He has to desert so much energy guarding the best player on the other team that offensively, it's hard for him some games to, to get it going. And without Chris Middleton being 100% healthy, I think that's going to be the difference in that series. This is obviously assuming that they beat the Sixers in the second round, which I think is going to be a really tough series too. Yeah, I hope the Sixers stay healthy. I'd like to see if they'll get,
2: get farther than the second round for once.
1: I mean, but think about the draw that, think about the draw that they've had. They kind of, like, missed their opportunity that, that year with Atlanta. Like, when Atlanta just... That was 100% the year. I still think they probably would have lost to the Bucks, but... Oh, I do too, but... At least you got a conference finals under your belt, and, like, it's not like, oh, they can't get past the second round. That's the whole... It's like... And then it's like the Doc Rivers thing of, like, not being able to get past the second round, like, besides that Celtics... Uh, besides the Celtics run with the big three.
2: Yeah, that's another, like, bizarre situation where they were... I don't know. One of the best teams in the league for the entire year, and then if they lose in the second round, he's probably gone, which is just like bizarre. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I. And you can make an you you can make an argument that those three teams, are the best three teams in the NBA, too. Yeah, I think for most of the year they've definitely been the most consistent. I, there's 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 definitely a world where. You can make an argument that those three teams are the best three teams in the NBA, and one of them's gonna. I mean, the Celtics and Sixers have to play each other in the second round, so...
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of screwed up how that draw went. But, I mean, in the West, it's been... Kings have probably been the most consistent, but every other team you can point to, it's like... There's been, like, some craters, and then... You're like, well, I mean, the Warriors, yeah, they won 40, what, 44 games, but they're still the Warriors, so I trust them more than, like, the Cavs winning 52.
1: Yeah, I think with with KD, with the Suns, I I think the Suns are probably the favorite coming out of the West, but I just think when, when... with the healthy LeBron, healthy AD. I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I just... I, feel I don't cool know top. if it's really
2: biased, though. It's not like it's it's a year where, like, the Spurs went, won 67 games and you're picking LeBron AD. It's like, the West is completely
1: wide open. I think not having to play the Suns till the whole the Western Conference Finals is, is obviously a plus, too. I'm, I mean, you get to run into the Warriors second round, but still. Yeah,
2: any, any Western Conference series that could shake out as long... I don't know. I mean, like... King's Grizzlies would still be entertaining, but as long as like one of you guys warriors' <laughs> sons, like every every single matchup you look at, it, you're like, oh, that's a sweet game that's a sweet series.
1: It would be funny if, if we went from a LeBron Steph second round matchup to a DeAaron Fox versus John Morant second round matchup. Like what do you think the NBA wants more?
2: Yeah. Which is kinda of wild that like in terms of seeding, then the jaw Fox One is is what's supposed to happen, but yeah, I don't know. Betting odds wise, everyone picking them. I, I don't know if if that's necessarily expected. But I agree. Um, shout out Cody for his uh, mailbag question of the week. Great return, Swider Show at Gmail to get featured on the show. Like I say, every time I read one. But next segment time, it's a copycat league. Swider is something you're very passionate about. We were texting about this. Was something that you requested to talk about on the show. It's been talked about ad nauseum on every platform, but um, you know we haven't really dedicated specifically a conversation about it. It is nil talk. I don't know your takes. Sounds like you had some fiery ones. It sounds like you were uh, fired up about this. Trying to find yeah. a better adjective than fire, but yeah, um, I don't know. Do you want to get into the nitty gritty of it, or do you just have something, some overarching kind of like feelings towards
1: it? I just have some overarching. Feelings um, towards the whole situation, right? I think. All right. So first of all, right, with the whole entire NIL ordeal now, it makes it seem like the transfer portal shouldn't be as prevalent as a thing. Because if we're if we're offering these kids all these types of money for them to be able to leave year after year is and be able to play right away, doesn't seem like it's it's that fair anymore, right? Because we're we're paying these guys money. Second of all, just the the loyalty aspect, and and I'm all for guys getting paid money, right? I, I think throughout my whole entire college career, um, I was in an era where I'm not trying to sound like an old guy now. But I was in an era where some guys were getting paid, and then it led to coaches getting suspended, um, led to players being investigated, and then because it, it wasn't legal at the time, right? But now it's it's coming to a point where guys are getting asking for a million dollars to go to their school. And I don't think that's good for college basketball either. So you, you get offered a million dollars to go someplace and then you transfer after a year. It just kind of seems like, like, I don't really love that idea. Right. I say this all the time. There was a, there was a guy in my draft class. I've told Patty this story. I've t- I think I've told this story before, just not on the podcast, but before that I was in an NBA workout and he was asking me about if I was entering the transfer portal or not, because, because of the office he was getting the transfer portal. So I was like no I'm, I'm sticking in the NBA draft process like I I'm ready to go I'm, I'm not, like I love Syracuse and everything like that but it was it was I thought it was time for me to, to take that next step. Um, he was like no you should not do the transport. I'm getting $500,000 offers. So this kid no need to be named decides to to, to to go to a school, he got paid a lot of money to go to that school but then he ended up being the fourth option on that school and he kind of ruined his chances to be a NBA draft pick or NBA lock. Right. Um, and I think a lot of these kids are, are looking at the the immediate monetary value. But for some kids, you need to do that because this is the most money that they're, they're going to make for the next seven, eight years of their career based on if they were to enter the G League as an Exhibit 10 contract making $90,000 or if they were to go overseas. And mostly if you're a really good college player, your starting salary overseas will be around 70 to 80 grand with obviously being the ability to keep on making more and more money. Down the yeah, line. but you got to like carve out like 5 years to like really really make money. To really really make money to make that 500, 600,000 that some of these kids are getting offered for, for averaging 12 points a game in college.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. upset as a fan.
1: I'm upset as a fan of college basketball of where our society is going in terms of like the loyalty of some some of these players in these programs. I think Hunter Dickinson is a great college player. He's been arguably the one of the, the best big man for 3 years in college basketball. Like him leaving Michigan, yeah, it it rubs you the wrong way. It rubs me the wrong way because it's just like you're—you've been so good there, the system fits you, and everything like that. Too like the fact that
2: Caleb Love transferred like actually made me legitimately sad. Like he is a North Carolina college basketball legend, and like five years ago, what are you gonna remember? Yeah. Yeah.
1: What are you gonna remember? What are you gonna remember these guys as? Right. Like, he's going to play for Michigan now. Is he going to be a Michigan Wolverine, or is he going to be the, the Caleb Love that brought North Carolina to the championship? It's just, like, that that whole, like, loyalty piece in my eyes is, uh, is something that I think we lost in college basketball. I was talking to our friend of the show, Buddy Bayheim earlier today, and just obviously, like, everyone's situation is different. My situation is different than the next guy's. But obviously, me coming from Villanova to Syracuse and, and how much I, I love the school and appreciated the school, like – that wouldn't have left my mind when, when coming to the NIL piece of, like, this school had, has treated me well, has loved me, has done everything it can. Like I'm going to stay here for another year because I know, at the end of the day, this is going to be my best chance to make the NBA as well. And that's where the real, like, for me, that's where the real money is. Making, right. I mean, no no discredit to anyone who's trying to make money, right, like, in NIL. But making four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 for a year is okay, but it's not going to set you up for life, right? But... I don't know. I when it comes to the fixing nil, I think there has to be. I, I mean, I think the changing of the NCA leadership is going to be a big a big thing. But now it's almost like you're not making kids work for anything anymore. You know what I mean? You're not. You're not l- letting kids go through adversity, right? Like they they transfer schools from school to school, and it's like NBA free agency, and it's like like where is the actual ide- ideology of like you going to school and loving your university and working through hardships and and becoming a better person on the, on the on the other end of it right so i mean i don't know everyone everyone's situation is different i'm i'm okay with that right like if a kid from a mid major wants the chance to change to a high major so he can make a lot so he can make money and and support his family and, and obviously everyone's situation is different from where they come from and everything like that um but i i do i do find that as an issue and obviously these covid years have have given kids the opportunity to grad from graduate from universities, which I think is totally different. If you graduate from university and you and you spent four years at that university, and and you want to go get a master's degree at another school and use your COVID year, and that maybe that's the opportunity for you to make more money, I think that's a little bit different. But, um, yeah, I just think it's 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 the wild wild west right now in college basketball, and I don't think it's, it's like everyone's just adjusting to it. It just completely, it was like there's. none none of it going
2: on and then overnight what july 1st 2021 all of a sudden it's like yeah you can make money and just change everything
1: immediately overnight but but at at least that year that it didn't it didn't affect recruiting right like now it's like the guys who have the most money are going to be the best teams at least from a talent perspective from from a perceived talent perspective right there's going to be like it would be really sad if fau lost their whole entire team because they couldn't pay their guys the same what in Arkansas or LSU or whatever. Right. But playing devil's advocate, don't
2: you think some of it, I don't know if I've heard this point. So you're a recruit, right? Now it's the yeah. transfer portal. It's absolute chaos. When you were recruited, you're looking at the rosters that you're getting recruited with. We talked about it with Tyler. It's like, okay, where can I go and actually play? Now yeah. you have to, like committing early is almost, it's more dangerous than it's ever been because you don't know if someone's going to leave or someone's going to, commit to the school that you're already committed to or transfer to the school you're already committed to and like basically get recruited over. So do you think the fits there and like the roster turnover also is producing more kids to leave after going through adversity, like you're saying, because there's this adversity that comes upon them that they weren't even expecting when they committed, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a part of it. But I also think like some of these kids have to lock in their spot early because the transfer portal might take away their spot later. So like – Obviously, women's basketball is a lot different in terms of like the money perspective and everything like that. But my sister Courtney came in as a sophomore in high school because she didn't want she didn't want the transfer portal to take away her spot. She committed to Richmond as a sophomore in high school. Like that's like really rare. So I think everyone's everyone's idea of, of, of when to commit to schools like is going to be different. But that's one of the reasons why LeBron James' son Bronny James hasn't committed to a school yet because he's waiting for the transfer portal to settle and and see where these rosters are. Yeah, so I think everyone's timelines different I know for me I didn't want to like I mean it was different when I was playing but uh, I didn't want to string out my recruitment I wanted to know where I was going I wanted my family to know where I was going and, and kind of have an idea of what the next couple of years of my college what it was gonna be like so we could plan for it but yeah journey was gonna be but yeah and I always just kind of made it like the world like the wild west out here. Yeah, it's just, uh,
2: I think everyone's adjusting to it. It's very hard to follow. It's, like, not even worth keeping track of because of the portal, because you could just assume everyone is and then go backwards from there. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. Some great takes, Wider. Very poetic takes there. Good discussion. Good INL talk. But with that, that was a little bit longer of an opening than we usually do. But, um... I don't know, any, any words sign off here before we, we kick it to Trevor around some uh, Lakers primers?
1: No, just just really thankful for you guys for the last episode. Hopefully we can just keep continue building. Um, shout, out, shout out to the listeners. Follow all platforms as always. You guys know it by now. This is your first time listening, Swidershow at gmail.com. Email us your questions. Show on Instagram and obviously um, Show on Twitter as well. But Patty does a great job at the end of, of explaining that. So you guys are just hearing it twice this episode.
2: right, Swater. appreciate it go lakers and uh we'll kick it to trevor here
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Alright everyone,
2: um, as we've probably mentioned on the pre-show, Cole will not be joining us on this interview, this is my first solo interview, we'll see how it goes, I'm sure you guys are all disappointed, Cole won't be here, but um, we want a more of a fan perspective, as uh, it's a big time for Lakers fans, and there's really no better person on the internet in Lakers Nation, pun there, to uh, to do this, it is the host of Lakers Nation, he runs all of Lakers Nation website, putting out the best Lakers content. Out there, so uh, Trevor Lane, thanks for rejoining this wider show, and uh, we're really excited to have you here.
3: Oh no problem! Thank you so much for for having me. Um, exciting time of year, obviously Lakers now officially in the in the postseason. So mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I can't wait to dive into it.
2: Yeah, it's I think it's a day that that Lakers fans have been waiting for for a while. First things first, Trevor, I wanted to uh, s- extend some, some sincere gratitude. So if you don't follow Trevor on Twitter, it is at Trevor underscore Lane. I wanted to thank you for your about month and a half, two-month what Lakers fans should be rooting for updates daily because I think that uh, sifted through what was probably the most insane playoff push, I'm sure, in Lakers history, maybe in, in basketball history. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for those. That that kind of made sense of a lot of things.
3: Well, I'm glad that was, that was helpful. That was a recommendation from a few different people um, and said, hey, it would be helpful if you would do this. And I said, okay. Uh, I guess I will. So I put it out there every day, what what fans should be looking to have happen around the NBA. And, you know, it it was a nice way to just kind of keep track of things. And especially because results were... Well, not every day. Largely going the Lakers' way, it certainly made it more fun. It would be a much more depressing experience if yeah, the Lakers just yeah. losing and falling out of things. But yeah, the way it's... things went and it ended up working out great.
2: It was very fun following the check marks too at late at night. I'm on the East Coast, so it was about 2 a.m. I'd, I'd check in, see all the check marks from you. It's also, you got a little shout out from Vander Vando there on his uh, on his birthday. Jared Vanderbilt sent sent the check mark over, so I'm sure that was cool.
3: Yeah, it was it was great to see that you know we had one day where there was nothing going on. It was Jared Vanderbilt's birthday, so what Lakers fans for, should root for became Jared Vanderbilt to have a, a happy birthday, and then uh, and then he followed suit and followed the pattern and and gave us the check mark to say that indeed he he did mission accomplished on that. Yeah. One. So that that was cool. That not only did he he respond to it, but clearly he was following along and you know saw what the what the bit was and everything.
2: Absolutely, yeah, it was fun fun to read. Um, very well deserved too, but. I do want to get into the big picture, as you've recapped on on all your platforms. Pretty crazy Lakers season. Like I said, this day is something that we've all been sort of waiting for. Um, And then I do want to get into the Grizzlies matchup. But first things first, Trevor, have you come down to earth from from last night? I mean, it's, what, 18 hours after the game ended last night. One of the more wild NBA games in general, let alone the stakes that were in uh, Crypto.com last night.
3: Yeah, I mean that was that was an absolutely uh crazy game. It wasn't the, the prettiest game for sure, but wow. but um, it was it was a crazy game. It was a stressful game. We were doing our, our live play by play. we have a, a playback channel. And we were doing that. Oh man, it, I mean, that was getting through that game was certainly not easy. But fortunately, the Lakers they find a way to, to come back in the fourth quarter. There, um, the Grizzlies. I mean, their their offense just fell to pieces. And I'm sorry, the um, the yeah, Minnesota mean, fell to it, yeah. pieces. And um, and the Lakers managed to, to get it done. So you'll take the win, but at the same time, I don't know that the that win necessarily inspires a lot of confidence from from Lakers fans mm-hmm. right now because there's, you know, it's not like they went out there and performed great. But bottom line, a win is a win, and right. so you'll take it, and I and I move on.
2: Yeah, I think it was uh, kind of a game for Lakers fans of, of cliches. You're you're going to bed last night. You're saying a win's a win. Scoreboard doesn't ask how much or uh, how it asks how many. So. Ultimately, I mean, they advanced. They're in the 7-2, now they're playing the Grizzlies. But sticking on last night's game, I think, it was, like you're saying, the biggest concern was those first three quarters. Obviously, the Lakers in the fourth quarter kind of ramped ramped up their defense. And, um, you know, as you recapped on your podcast today, it was basically nine points in, in the fourth quarter, save for that AD foul at the end of the game. But how much for the, of those three quarters were you did you think was – kind of an outlier of the Wolves shooting above what they usually do versus Lakers actually kind of having some lapses and struggling on their end.
3: Yeah, I think it took it took both things, and that was one of my concerns going in was, it's okay, with, with Rudy Gobert out, um, that means you're going to see the three-point volume for the Wolves is going to go up, and the three-point shot is the great equalizer in the NBA. You can have a team that mm-hmm. is uh, lacking a little bit in talent that can keep into games if they're hitting a lot of their threes. And that's exactly what was happening. The game was playing out exactly how the Wolves needed it to in order for them to get a win. They were hitting. It felt like every three they put up was going in. Certainly when Mike Conley was the guy that was shooting them, um, everything was dropping. And some of that was the Lakers defense. Some of that was the Lakers defense just making support decisions. There was, Couple, there were a couple of plays where LeBron, who I thought, I mean, had a, a fine game overall, but uh, with lo- lost some players off the ball, wound up with an open three-point shot. There was a play where Austin Reeves uh, doubled down into the post on Kyle Anderson when you don't really need to do that, and that gave up an open look from from deep for the Wolves when they swung the ball. So there were some mistakes defensively that helped the Wolves create those three-point shots in addition to the Lakers' offense, where... They couldn't seem to get anything to drop on their end. Uh-huh. The Wolves were hitting everything. The Lakers couldn't get anything to go, and so that was creating opportunities for the Wolves to get defensive rebounds and then push and at least get into semi-transition, get some cross-matches, and then get open looks from deep as a result. So you had all of that kind of coming together in the the perfect storm, as it were, of the Lakers winding up uh, down for, for much of this game. I think some of it was, it was an outlier, but some of it, in terms of the shooting, the number of shots that were going in for the Wolves, but the lakers defense and offensive production i think were are doing some things that allowed the wolves to get those open looks and so i think the lakers were certainly in part responsible for what was going on in that game beyond just a hot shooting night from from minnesota
2: yeah it is it's funny it's such a trend in the nba now you could watch a full game and it's like at the end of the game you might just look at it and be like well one team was hot from through the other the other just was kind of struggling but fourth quarter ended up kind of being an equalizer you did mention Kyle Anderson. One one trend I noticed in the third quarter was they were really struggling with that lineup when he was at the five, and then the Wolves ended up going away from it because obviously, I mean, catch your best player, you got to bring him back in. He was in foul trouble, but um, I think you know most fans that tune into a seven-game playoff series, which you will in the Grizzlies, it's kind of trying to identify these trends and seeing what will carry over game to game. So, do you see that as a blueprint that other teams might? Try and copy from with the wolves with um, you know pulling AD away from the basket, and obviously it has to do with personnel of other teams. But um, yeah, how do you kind of see that playing out? And in, in, I mean, the first round is the first round, but um, you know, as as they kind of try and make an actual push here.
3: Yeah, I think that's going to be the the game plan for, I mean, we're going to see it against the Grizzlies. You're going to have Jordan Jackson Jr. is going to be behind the three-point line for certain sets, and that's going to try to drag Anthony Davis away and therefore create some scoring opportunities at the rim for, for well, John Morant being the primary guy there, but Desmond uh-huh. Bain can get to the rim as well. You know, they've got other players who can do that kind of stuff. So I do think that's something that you're going to see moving forward. The question, as always, with something like that, with that kind of strategy is, Is it worth the gamble? The gamble is on the other end. Does Anthony Davis just destroy Kyle Anderson to the point where (laughs) the added spacing you have on the offensive end the other way is not worth it? Mm -hmm. Um, The the Wolves got away with it for quite a bit. Uh, So we'll see how that ultimately works out. You know, you can just like a team can create that kind of space against the Lakers by spreading out their offense, playing five out, playing smaller the Lakers can punish that team as well for going smaller and for doing those things just by being dominant on the glass and and, and pounding the ball inside. And I thought the Lakers started out with the game plan of doing that to, to begin the game. Yeah. And then uh, as the shots continued to not drop, it felt like they maybe the nerves kicked in a little bit or mm-hmm. they started to get a little bit worried. But um, ultimately, ultimately, their size, I think, was a big, big factor in in this game. Uh, as far as will teams try to spread the Lakers out, though, yeah, it's I, I think it's going to happen. Uh, just like you're going to see teams defensively do everything they can to take away Anthony Davis, send doubles right. at him, not let him receive the ball to begin with when he does get it, send extra players, and then see if the Lakers uh, can counter it or not.
2: Yeah, I think um, you're definitely familiar with this with your comments or replies that you get on Twitter, but there's a lot of a little little crying from Lakers haters about the, the refereeing the referee in the game. game. I, I thought it was actually, I don't know, bad, bad both ways. ways, a lot of the yeah, game, but... Um, like like it, you're saying, that it, ultimately ended up kind of what pushed their comeback. comeback is they were able to get to the get free throw line a lot, and and it's the biggest, you know, common thing in you know, sense sense basketball. basketball if you're trying to come back, the clock the, moving. moving, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out.
3: Yeah, I thought that was an inconsistently refereed game where what was a foul or wasn't a foul early in the early go. I thought they were letting a lot go early, and then they kind of reverted back to a fairly normal refereed. Game towards the end of the third and into the fourth quarter, that's that's tough. I mean, you hear that from players all the time. We just want consistency. So consistency. Yeah, yeah. I I thought that that was was not a consistently refereed game, and there were and so you've got fans on both sides who were were not thrilled with. Yeah, yeah,
2: Yeah, the way the Wolves playing was not necessarily conducive to drawing fouls either. The the, yeah, the loose ball foul on LeBron. I don't know if I've ever seen that at any any level of basketball at the end of the game.
3: Yeah, diving for the ball and he kind of clips Torian Prince and and winds up being a, a loose ball foul on, on LeBron. Usually it's like the ball is loose or if there's a player on the ground, it, it's like it, it's all it's no holds barred at that, right. point. you know. Yeah, you yeah. can have somebody can come flying in and drop the Rock's people's elbow on the player on the ground and it's not a foul yeah. the ball's on the <laughs> ground and everybody's going for it, right? And and that's just kind of the way that it goes. So it's it was it was a bit strange to see that called as as a foul, but I mean, I guess he, he did make contact with him, so.
2: The Lakers, I guess you could say, devil's advocate would say they put themselves in the position not getting the ball in bounds, but I don't know, just a, just a really bizarre call. So um, The other thing I wanted to touch on from last night's game is you on your podcast and um, on Twitter always give out the superstar of the game, superstar of the night. Last night, I know you were flirting with, you ended up going with LeBron, but Dennis Schroeder, I think anyone who watched that game, he really provided the spark off the bench and uh D-Law Russell was he was struggling a little bit. that was probably um you know the most he's struggled since he's joined the team after the deadline but the fascinating thing with the Lakers is they have these four guards right they have Beasley, they have schroeder, they have Reeves, they have Russell, and last night, I had a lot of respect for him as a rookie head coach. You have your starting point guard you know russell's probably a bigger name than Dennis Schroeder. he's someone that coming into the game a lot of people think of as Lakers maybe third fourth option so He decides to go with Schroeder for basically the entire end of the game. I know he was in for the last possession, but do you see that being a trend throughout the playoffs where it's almost you kind of test those four guards throughout, um, you know, depending on the matchup, and then whoever's night it is, you ride with them for the rest of the game?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think that's one of the luxuries that the Lakers have. I mean, you you can kind of ride the hot hand. It was, indeed, I thought D'Angelo Russell's worst game as a Laker. Maybe worst game as a Laker ever. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at it.
2: Really? Yeah, yeah. I always forget about the first ten. Yeah, I'm a new, I'm a new Lakers fan, Trevor. So I don't, I don't necessarily remember those days as
3: well. But <laughs> there were, there were some bad games for for D'Lo at that point. But, mm-hmm. but certainly his worst game is a Laker this season. And, um, and so I think Ham, who came into the year saying facts over feelings, right? Like the guys who right. are playing well are going to play. I thought that he did a nice job of, of backing that up. Now, I'm not saying he coached a perfect game or that everything is exactly as the way, you know, fans are, are going to complain about stuff no matter what. Just gonna be, <laughs> there's going to be things that you can quibble over. But I thought that in terms of the critical decisions was D'Angelo Russell's not playing well. Dennis Schroeder is. So playing Dennis Schroeder more minutes than, than D'Angelo Russell, I thought that was... Uh, he executed that very, very well and it for for sure. Sure, so you don't get the win otherwise I thought Wendy and Gabriel, he played a couple of minutes, showed that he wasn't going to have it that night, it wasn't a good matchup for him, and so that was it, he played two minutes mm-hmm. and Norbert said no more, we're not going back to this, we're going elsewhere I thought he made the, the correct decisions even if it meant uh, taking minutes away from guys who typically get them and and so credit to him for, for that, for recognizing that and, and going with the guys who were getting the job done
2: Right, absolutely, um, I, yeah I was very impressed by that and like you said, people are gonna complain no matter what, but it takes uh it takes some balls to go to go with that in your first ever, you know, playoff game as a head coach. So um, like I said, looking forward to the Memphis series, we talked about sort of that blueprint of the Jaron Jackson Jr., maybe they try and pull A D away, but if you watch the Grizzlies at all, it's basically I don't know, however many possessions are in your game, probably ninety percent of them are a high ball screen for Jaws. So how do you kind of forecast the Lakers going into the series? How do you think they should play it, and and kind of how do you think they, they actually end up will executing
3: that? It's it's really tough, and I've been going over this today, looking at everything, trying to figure out how do you handle this. Because, mm-hmm. like, ideally, if, let's say, like, you go with, and this is not just a Frank Vogel thing, but Frank Vogel is the guy Lakers fans remember for doing this, uh, but you blitz the ball handler, right? So if you do that, uh, the Lakers did it to James Harden uh, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They did it to basically any ball handling guard. They did it to Jimmy Butler a little bit as well in the finals. And they would send two at him. And then when that initial pass would come, they would trust that their remaining three players could play three on four for at least, say, five, six, seven seconds and do enough to disrupt the other team. And in particular, force the ball into the hands of players who are not used to making decisions, even when they've got the ball and they're in a four-on-three situation, they have to make the correct decision, whether to pass, dribble, shoot, whatever, and have players making that decision who are not used to doing that. And mm-hmm. the Lakers, when they won the championship, did a great job of doing it. So I could see them going that route again, Try to blitz jaw. you got to worry about him splitting a double team. But then the problem becomes, this is where it gets tricky, how do you make sure that the ball winds up in the hands of Dylan Brooks, who's a 31, 32% three-point shooter, and not right. Luke Kennard, not Desmond Main not mm-hmm. Jaron Jackson Jr., who are all much better. Um, that's the challenge with the Grizzlies lineup now without Steven Adams on the floor. You've got so much shooting out there. It's going to be tough because Jaw is either, if, if Jaw splits the double, then you're in a lot of trouble. But if you blitz him and he makes the right pass and you're giving up open threes to Luke Kennard or open threes to Desmond Bain, that's going to hurt. The Grizzlies yeah, have a lot of history. ways to hurt you yeah. offensively. Um, and I think it's it's going to come down to this. Can Jared Vanderbilt defend John? Murray? Yeah. And that's a big ask for a guy who's at his best. And I think this is where his impact is typically felt. Like last night, we saw defending Anthony Edwards. Edwards. Defending two through four is where Jared Vanderbilt's going to be at his best. Right. If he can defend Ja at least competently, which is a, a very difficult thing to ask him to do, to mm-hmm. defend a point guard. But if he can do that, that opens up a lot of things. Otherwise... You got to start throwing in some double teams, all kinds of different stuff. You got to figure out. Well, we can't really play drop coverage against John Morant. So then, what do you do? Like, there's a lot of ways for the Grizzlies to counter whatever defense the Lakers throw at them. And stopping Jaw is only part of it because if you do stop Jaw, that might just mean the ball is finding an open Luke Kennard. And we've seen when the, the when he was a Clipper, he's burned the Lakers a number of times. Yeah it's going to be very, very tricky. And there's going to be a lot of adjustments and adjustments to those adjustments. I, I don't envy Darvin Ham and the coaching staff for the <laughs> yeah. puzzle that they have to solve here.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I think the blueprint is probably, I mean, Joe had a very good series last year, but um, I think a lot of people remember Gary Payton did a very good job. But I, I have confidence of Vando. I think I think he can kind of contain him to the point where, um, you know, he'll be he'll be able to hold his own. Uh, the other thing I think a concern that people have is is the depth at the front court, so obviously, like we're saying pick and rolls a d will be involved in in most of them, if not all of them. So um, how do you kind of see that plan out where if a d were to get in foul trouble in one of these games or if he needs a sub, whatever, um, where do you see us going from there?
3: Given the three-point shooting of the Grizzlies, I would imagine imagine it's probably going to be Wenyan because of the options at the center right. position. You're looking at, at Wenyan, you're looking at Mo Bamba, you're looking at now Tristan Thompson, who hasn't played yet for the team. Um, which player has the best chance of getting out and defending the three-point line in, in that type of scenario? It's Wenyan Gabriel. He's going to be the quickest, but he's also the smallest of the group. He's 6'9", 205 pounds. So you do worry about John Morant getting and finishing over him, Jaron Jackson Jr. finishing over him, and that's where you're going to need Frankly, Anthony Davis to stay out of foul trouble, he's probably right. going to be playing 40 minutes, to 38 40 to minutes, 40 yeah. minutes every night. So, can you get by with Wenyan at the center position for five minutes, maybe, and LeBron fills in at three, yeah, yeah. three minutes, maybe Rui, something like that? Mm-hmm. But um, that look, five minutes with your backup center in, if Wenyan can't contest at all in the mid range or can't contest at all at the rim or something, and that can be all it takes for you to lose a game in the playoffs right. and maybe lose a series. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on for sure as well. Um, can can Wunyon stay on the floor because he is your best bet to get out? I think and cover the three point line as well, which is going to be a concern against the Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah
2: he definitely makes the most sense. When you get a real friend of the Swider show, he's on a couple of weeks. Ago, he was great, dude. But um, you mentioned rest, or er, I mean, basically AD having to play forty minutes. LeBron will be around there too, and I think last night. You saw there was definitely some fatigue towards the end of the game. There's some some sloppiness, some turnovers that we're really not accustomed to seeing from, especially LeBron. Um, but it's understandable, Trevor. He's in year 20. He's been in the league since I was three years old. So, um, but right when we right before we logged on here, the schedule did come out, and particularly the first three games. There's two to, two rest days in between. Do you view that as actually very very important or a little bit overrated and um, you know how much more important
3: do you see that as for the Lakers as opposed to you know other teams in the playoffs? No, I think it's I think it's extremely important. you know you look at I mean ideally they, they would have got the sixth seed and then they would have even more time off but right. this team has spent probably four of the last five games where people were concerned about is this how much of what we're seeing is disinterest is just they're pretty much assured of a play in spot and they're not playing the other teams you know they're playing teams who are resting players so it's hard to get up for a game like that and everything how much of what we were seeing in terms of the sloppiness the the lethargic nature all of that is disinterest is just hey we don't have to push down on the gas pedal right now so we're not going to and how much of it was fatigue and the hope was that it was a whole lot of the former and not a lot of the latter i think we did see Uh, quite a bit of fatigue from the Lakers last night. So these having four days off is critical. And then the schedule going forward of having a couple of days off between games, instead of just one day off, that's also huge for the Lakers because they need all the rest that they can possibly (laughs) get. Shut it down, rest up as much as you can. They 100% need it. It's not going to be enough. I mean, they need like a month off to, to yeah. fully recharge, but, but they'll right. take every day, every hour that they can get to rest at this point.
2: Yeah, I think it's fascinating to see LeBron too. He could, you could kind of tell last night, he was like, if, if we win this game, we're in the next round. So from the jump, he was a lot more aggressive than, than I thought you usually see him. So it'd be interesting to see in game one if he kind of takes the same approach.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?
3: Yeah, he um, he did seem more aggressive, but then you also saw him at the end of the game, hands on his knees. He looked pretty, right. pretty gassed. I mean, that was that's not something you always see from LeBron. But I mean, the reality is he's thirty eight. Like it's yeah. it's going to happen. So exactly, the, the more rest they can get, the better. And look, I I don't know how the series. I imagine the series is going to be a battle. But if there's any way, if if they can get up and and and. Somehow, some way, the best case scenario: finish it in like five games or something, and get some more rest because that fatigue is going to be a factor all the way throughout the playoffs. The more rest they can get, the better they they need as much as they possibly can because they looked they looked pretty exhausted last night, and unfortunately, I think the Wolves looked even more exhausted. Yeah, so that helped them out, but I'm not expecting that will be the case with Memphis.
2: Right? Yeah, they are very very stagnant towards the end of the game, which I thought definitely benefited the Lakers. But um, I actually wanted to get your your prediction what you kind of think will happen in this first round series. Do you see, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to go with the Lakers' W as I am as well, and I'm sure most of the uh, listeners, but how do you see it playing out?
3: Yeah, I'm going to stay optimistic, and I'm going to say the Lakers ultimately get the win. I think it's going to be a very difficult series. I think that... Um, There's going to be a lot of adjustments made on both sides, and the Lakers Mm -hmm. coaching staff is going to have to adjust to the adjustments, which is critical. In a playoff series, you're going to see a team a number of times, and they're going to do things to counter what you're doing, and you've got to counter those things, and back and forth you go. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Lakers coaching staff to make the correct decisions, push the right buttons in order to get them where they want to go. But um, this Lakers team, they've got the ability to play a heck of a lot better than they did last night, and a lot better than they have in the recent stretch, so I'm hopeful that we are going to see them turn it back up, and I'm going to say the Lakers get it done in, in six. Um, that's what I'm what I'm hoping to see here. I agree but with you. Yeah, it's 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 not going to be easy. I'll tell you that. It nah. is. We we are going to be on the edge of our seats. I think for most <laughs> yeah. of the series.
2: Absolutely. Um, I think it'll be a very hard-fought series, and the Grizzlies are no stranger to, to talking shit too. So we'll see how that plays out. But, um, just some big-picture stuff here, and then we'll let you go. I know you only have a few more minutes left with this. but um, I think a lot of um. You know, basketball fans. I remember 2020, the bubble season. The whole rhetoric around. I think they started 40 and eight. They were pretty clearly the best team in the league before the shutdown. And then, obviously, after the bubble, they come back and won the championship. But I'm sure you'll remember all of the rhetoric around who the third guy is and who is going to step up and who's going to be that one guy that they can rely on game to game outside of LeBron and AD. It ended up being Rondo that year, so I have written down Rondo candidates. So, from your um, standpoint trevor who do you think is one guy on on the roster that kind of has to really step up and um you know be the one that is relied upon as a third option night tonight yeah playoff reeves playoff D'Lo. i don't know
3: <laughs> that that's the guy that i've been i've been asked this question a number of times on uh on recent radio shows and things like that and, and i think that I, my, my answer has been austin reeves which sounds crazy like if you told me this what a year and a half ago. I would say that's insane. He's an undrafted yeah. free agent. I mean, did he didn't get picked in the first round or the second. I mean, he had the option to get picked in the second round, but still, like, undrafted player, and here he is, and I think he he probably is your X factor, though. His ability to get to the free throw line, his high shooting percentage from three, those are going to be critical for the Lakers in the in this series, and what can he do defensively? His ability to chase around a guy like a Desmond Bain, a guy like, like Luke Kennard, what can he do there? So he is going to be extremely important here, but I think the true beauty of this Lakers team right now is that it's not going to be the same guy every single right. night. I think Austin more often than not will step up, but you, I, I think that D'Angelo Russell had a terrible game against the wolves. I wouldn't shock me if very, very soon we see a bounce back 25 yeah, plus point did. performance, on right. Him, right? Like it could be any number of players on any given night. And that makes them extremely hard to game plan for So, I'm curious to see who else does step up, but I, I am looking at Austin as probably being the guy who most consistently steps up.
2: Yeah, I think since the All-Star break, most Lakers fans will agree with you. If you remove yourself from kind of the preconceived notions there of undrafted and wasn't, he wasn't even, I mean, he worked his way into the rotation last year, but I don't think coming into this year, people would have looked at him as, as the third option on the team. He's been about 20 a game, insane efficiency since the, since the deadline. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. That's the other th- positive too, like you said. Um, you know, some guys might have struggled last night, but um, they could definitely break out of it in big games to come. Um, my final question, just big picture, where do you see What – what is your prediction for, for this playoff push? And um, I think last time you were on, we asked what, what success might be for this Lakers season. I think if you asked anyone around Halloween time when they were 2-10, and 10, they would have said if, we, if we're the 7th seed, then we could get swept. It's still It's still a success. But – you know, with the position they're in now, I think they have kind of a favorable matchup. How do you how do you see the next couple of weeks going for the Lakers?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think they're their ceiling now. I mean, could be a championship. Like I wouldn't call them the favorite. I would certainly pick the field yeah. over over the Lakers, but I think that that ceiling is now there. Whereas prior to the trade deadline, I don't think that ceiling was there at all. Um, in terms of what is what is success, I, I asked this question to a lot of Lakers fans. I put out a poll and everything, and I had all, all varieties, some people saying, nope, it's a championship or bust. That's the only thing that means success to this franchise. I had other people saying it was a success the moment the trade deadline deals got done uh, right. because it's given them uh, so much hope for the future, for next season and beyond with the moves that they made. So, firstly, I think success for this team is going to be just proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the roster that you want to stick with in the offseason and to me that means making a strong push at least into the second round and then you go from there it's not going to be easy but I think you get into the second round and you look really good it would be all but impossible for the front office to come back and say well you know we're not going to pay into the tax for this team or maybe let's go back to that three-star model or something like that I think personally they've already cleared the bar and and showed that this is the team and should be the team moving forward but you get into the second round. You look good in the in the postseason. I think that's just going to cement that moving forward. That this is the new way of the NBA: two stars and depth, and this needs to be the roster build moving forward.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with with all your points there. I think, um, yeah, it's very well said. And hopefully, moving forward, we'll see uh, Cole Swider on the court a little bit more. But <laughs> that's right. that's Trevor. right. That's right, Trevor. Thank you so much. You can find him, um, Lakers Nation, fellow Blue Wire podcast. Doing pre and post game shows on Twitter, um, very active in the chat. So if if you're in the post game shows, make sure you ask them some questions. I'll read on the show. Um, and yeah, thank you so much, Trevor, for uh, for taking the time out and go Lakers as always.
3: That's right, no problem. Thank you so much for for having me. And yeah, let's go postseason basketball. Lakers back where they belong in the playoffs. Let's see if they can make some noise.
5: Absolutely. Thank you, Trevor. The headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place. what's up everybody
2: thank you guys for tuning in we really hope you enjoyed this week's show to find out who will be joining us next week make sure you're following us on all social media platforms at Show on instagram at swidershow on twitter and at swidershow on tiktok we also recently developed our very own youtube page www.youtube.com slash at swidershow and subscribe you can send in a mailbag question to be featured on the show swidershow at gmail.com and of course if you haven't already make sure to turn on those notifications so you never miss an episode week to week cole swider show with patty casey is presented by blue wire podcast and our executive producer is adam lewis swider show was created by cole swider patty casey and producer adam lewis all rights reserved thank
5: you guys we'll see you next week